The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn presents. I'm Maura Ahrens-Mealy, and this is The Anxious Achiever, the show that looks at the intersection of mental health and work, and how we can all do both better. You're not good enough. You're lazy. Why would anyone care what you have to say? These are phrases that echo in the mind of today's guest, and they probably feel a little familiar to you, too. As I've gotten out there to, to tell my story, I struggle with imposter syndrome. And so when I get up to tell my story, even though I've gotten so much positive feedback, there is a very loud voice going, no one cares. I, I've kind of decided it may be there forever. And I kind of just need to treat it as, we'll just call it an annoying roommate who I, I have to love because they're not moving out. Newton Chang is an executive He serves as director of health and performance at Google, and he's a world and national champion powerlifter. And yet, he hears, often, in his own mind, all of the things he should do. All of the things he is not. I got to hear Newton speak a few months back in person at a Google event. I wasn't expecting to hear someone who stopped me in my tracks, but he did. Newton's energy felt transformative to me. And that's reflective of a transformation he's undergone himself after months of mental health leave from his job, therapy, and a lot of reflection. Newton and I started by talking about how powerlifting, his passion outside the workplace, helps him frame the rest of his life. I am a world champion powerlifter, a four-time national champion, and I hold records at the world, national, and state level for my age and weight class. And so for those who don't know too much about powerlifting, you do three lifts. You do the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. And you do this up on a platform. And you only need to lift each of those one time. So what you're essentially doing is you need to get up in front of an audience And you need to lift a weight that is technically probably pretty dangerous to you because you are at your maximum ability. And you need to be dialed in physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually in order to really perform at that level. Mm. And so for me, powerlifting, it's not just been a way to stay healthy. It's not just a way to achieve. It is really walking a path of self-mastery. And it just so happens to be that the the way I chose to do that was to lift weights in front of an audience, which is very strange when you put it that way. (laughs) Why is it your path to mastery? Like, when did you realize that's a role that it fulfilled for you? There was a moment when it's interesting. I couldn't realize it on my own. What I had to do was I had to be part of the broader powerlifting community and see what it had brought to people's lives to understand what I was part of. Hmm. And so this was after I won my third national championship in 2021, I believe. 
And I was standing in a lineup of other national champions from the other weight classes. And I looked down the line and there were so many just so accomplished athletes. They had accomplished more than I had. And I had spent the day with them and they were so humble, not just there for themselves, but they were there for the broader community. And what I realized was I probably could care less if I won another national or world championship, but getting to be on this journey with other people who are there to build both inner and outer strength Mm -hmm. and to be part of a community that is also pursuing that, like that's, that's why we pursue the biggest goals possible because we're modeling for one another what the pursuit of inner and outer strength looks like. And so when I saw that and I I saw I'm part of this lineup now and I get to choose how do I want to contribute to this community, that's when it became spiritual to me and when it became walking a path of mastery versus pursuing another championship. Do you ever feel like you've mastered it? I mean, you're technically the best in the world. So I, (laughs) one of the things that I realized the first powerlifting meet I went to was I was so self-conscious. I was like, I need to hit personal records on everything. I need to look impressive. And what I realized was everyone was watching just the strongest person there who was, you know, one of the most accomplished powerlifters in the world and is far stronger than me. He's, he's in a much heavier weight class. But he was far stronger than me. And what I realized was like, oh, so we're all peanuts compared to him. And then if you talk to him, he's pursuing the legends from the previous generation. And what I realized was, oh, the self inside this community, like the focus on the self, as you start to zoom out and see what's been done before and around you, you realize how small you are. And you can find that as that is crushing and therefore you got to do more and more and more, Mm -hmm. or you can find it as, as freeing. You're like, I get to be part of this infinite, amazing community. You also have a pretty cool day job. You're an executive at Google. You're here today and we know each other because you decided to tell your mental health story. Tell the audience your story, if you would. So I'll start my story at the beginning of the pandemic. So think back to March 2020 and literally everything in the world had just shut down. We were sent home from work. When we got home, we had lost our childcare. And then so many of us, we were just swimming in this unknown about this virus, COVID. And for me, what that felt like was I was afraid for my family, both physically and and financially. I was afraid for my daughter and my aging parents who might be more vulnerable to this virus. And then my job, we ran on-site amenities for Google. And so I, I was thinking, well, what's going to happen to my job? Right. Regardless of all that, it was clear that we were in a time of crisis. And I was taught by my parents that in a time of crisis, that's when you show up and you lean in and you lead. Hmm. And so I suppressed all of those fears. Like I pushed them down. I put all of the negative emotions aside and I said, we will act. And so what we did at work was we took all of those on-site programs Mm -hmm. and we pivoted them to digital programs that the Google community could use in their homes. Hmm. And then we took on more responsibilities across the organization because just more help was needed. 
And then we spent more time checking in with one another because it felt like the right thing to do. And it was exhausting and overwhelming. But again, you you lean in and you lead. Now, that was March. If you fast forward to about June, this is when the first major red flag appeared to me. I thought it was just going to be another team meeting, but I, I didn't realize how pivotal it would be. The vice president of my organization, this was his team meeting. And he and my peers who report to him, we were doing a check-in, going around the screen, asking, how are you doing? And when it got to me, I don't know why, but this, this hard shell I had been wearing since March, it started to crack. And I said, right now I'm struggling. The number of days that I'm proud of how I'm showing up as a father is going down. Mm. And I don't know how to turn that around. And when I said that, I didn't know that was in there. And it hurt. It hurt so much to hear me say that out loud. And it felt like this ache in my chest. And then at the same time, there was this wave of shame because I had just violated so much of how I was socialized. Like culturally, as an Asian American, we don't show our emotion like that. And we especially do not do that at work. Hmm. And then as a man, like I had been taught or what had been modeled for me is like the only time you cry is you lose a family member or you lose a pet and that's it. And so while it was just a few tears and everyone was like just so, so supportive, afterwards I tried to just continue on with my life. Like that hadn't happened, but I had to acknowledge that like something inside me was breaking. Did you say anything to your colleagues about it or did you sort of pretend it didn't happen and move on? I didn't bring it up proactively. A few checked in with me and I think I minimized it. Like, yeah, I'm struggling. It, it's fine. And if I think back about that, I think I needed help, but I didn't actually know how to ask for it. Now, moving forward to maybe the fall in October, I had the opportunity to take on significant additional responsibilities that would essentially double my workload. And then when that came up, it was clear there were these two voices in my head. There's the one that I always listened to that said, of course, of course we can take on more. We're going to do what's needed and we're going to achieve. And then there was the other one, which was like the quiet battered voice that was saying, what the heck are you doing? And I said, yes, anyway, because that's what we always did. And, and I always made it work. And this now really started to accelerate this downward trend. So by November, that's when I first remembered I started to struggle to get out of bed because I was just perpetually exhausted and weary. February was the first time where I couldn't physically get out of bed one morning because I was just overwhelmed with this sense of dread. Mm. My eyes would pop awake. I would realize all the things I needed to do that day. And this, this voice would tell me, this will never stop. And you have no way out of this because you need to support your family. You need to be there for everyone. You've told everyone how meaningful this work is. And so you can't step away. Mm. And then the second voice that my parents never talked to me this way, but I don't know where this voice came from. It, I could hear it. It would say, get up. You're lazy. Like get out of bed because people depend on you and do what you're supposed to do. Oh God. That voice is still there and it is, it is harsh. And that's, that's how I would get out of bed. 
Now, by April, it was clear that I needed help. So I went to the employee assistance provider and the therapist that they provided me said that I was showing early symptoms of burnout. And then by the fall, I had started going to a new therapist on recommendation of a friend and their evaluation said that I was experiencing major symptoms of depression and anxiety. And this was one of the biggest ahas for me because the feelings I had described that went into that evaluation, I've been feeling those since definitely my entire adult life, but maybe even high school or before. And so I I thought, wait, I thought this was all stress induced by the pandemic. But what I realized was I probably didn't have the awareness or the vocabulary to describe what was actually going on with my mental health for most of my life. Wow. Now, by November, my therapist told me what he diagnosed me with what's called high functioning depression. Mm -hmm. And what that looks like is first week of November, that's when I won my first world championship. I broke five world records in powerlifting. And that was at the height of my struggles with depression and anxiety, because I was taught it doesn't matter how you feel, like people are depending on you. You get up and you do what needs to be done. Now, the following week, I had the opportunity to give a keynote at an internal health and well-being conference at Google. And my plan was to talk about all the amazing things we were doing to support our employees and all these awesome opportunities between Google technology and health and well-being. And it was going to be to this audience of industry thought leaders and really important peers and, and people senior to me at the company. And so I worked on it and I polished it and it had to be perfect. And then about a week out, I looked at it and I said, this feels completely hollow. And so I threw the entire thing out And instead, I wrote up a new keynote that talked about what was really going on, which was that I had been struggling with depression and anxiety throughout the pandemic and probably before. I was likely to go on mental health leave. And the important part I wanted to tell the audience was I've seen the data and some of you have told me directly, I know so many of you are struggling just like me and we're not talking about it because of stigma. Mm. Now, the moment that I wrote that out, I had this like stunning realization, like this big, oh no. And I realized, hey, this keynote's going to be recorded. Your boss is going to see it. Your peers will see it. The people who report to you will see it. And I said, you know what? Let's get ahead of this. And so I proactively sent them the keynote before I gave it and said, I want you to hear this from me first before you hear it on recording. And so I delivered the keynote. It's completely changed the tone of that conference and created conversations that we wouldn't have had otherwise. Yep. And then two months later in January of 2022, I went on mental health leave. And honestly, it was because I was ashamed of how I was showing up as a husband and father. And it was an act of desperation because I didn't know what else to do. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days. 
all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. From the minds of visionaries to the desks of disruptors. I'm Laura Schmidt, host of the Redefining Work podcast. Join me each week as we explore the new world of work through the lens of those shaping it. CEOs, HR leaders, investors, and more. Be a part of the conversation that changes everything. Subscribe to Redefining Work today. After you gave the keynote, you stayed on at work for two months. Yeah. What happened? Why did you stay on? And what finally got you to to say, I I have to leave, I have to take a mental health leave? I stayed on, honestly, because it worked out the best for the work that was on my plate and the work that my organization had committed to. So you sort of tried to pick a time to go on leave that felt like a break in assignments or deliverables or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Well, just to add a little more... Mm, I I don't know. I'm trying not to place any judgments on this, but we'll say intricacies. While I was told, treat your leave as open-ended because you do not know how long it's going to take you to feel better. I was already thinking, okay, if I go on leave on this date, maybe I can make it back for performance reviews, which are going to happen at the end of February, beginning of March, because I don't want to saddle my boss and I don't want to saddle my team with that. Oh my God. Performance reviews are notoriously good for people's mental health, don't you know? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, thank you for creating this space. As I say all this out loud, there's now this voice saying, "Like, do you realize how insane you are?" And so it's very good for me to hear myself say these things out loud. I want to just pause here because I think what might be illustrative for listeners is the notion. I mean, to call yourself a high functioning person with depression feels that feels small. I mean, the amount of functioning you were doing with your depression is unbelievable. But probably also, I would assume there was a fair amount of anxiety maybe also pushing you at this time. It was all anxiety pushing me at this time. High functioning. I'll, I'll tell you an interesting story around my powerlifting where I realized like I've been, I don't know, socialized to be humble to the point of it being untrue or inauthentic, where people would find out I do powerlifting and they would ask about my competitions, what I had done. And I'd say like, I'm I'm pretty good. And for me, that was a stretch to say, I'm pretty good. Like I was socialized to not do that. I would normally be more comfortable saying I'm okay. And then once a friend had to call me on it and say like, you literally have a world championship. (laughs) You have a world record. You are more than pretty good. And so I've actually had to practice saying, I am one of the best in the world at this sport. Wow. Because that is true. And it is highly uncomfortable for me to say that. So yes, back to the the topic of high functioning. Yes, it, it is beyond what is just called high functioning. And when you learned that that's what you had, just tell us about what a day felt like with the high-functioning depression and the anxiety. Were you able to sleep? Was your mind always racing? Like, Can you 
I hope it's okay, but like, can you tap into what that felt like? And was that a familiar feeling in retrospect from the rest of your life? Yeah. So it, it's interesting. The way I characterize this now, now that I've done a lot more therapy and journaling and and I think I have a better understanding of the patterns and voices in my head, let's say before the pandemic, before I really started to break down, I felt like I was pretty positive and sunny mm. and I was led by aspiration. What happened during the pandemic, first, what would happen throughout the day is like, like I told you, those mornings where I would just struggle to get out of bed and you would wake up with this overwhelming sense of dread because you saw everything coming at you. And the motivator to get out of bed was, again, it was that voice of get up, like you will get this done. The work I had to do when I went on leave was question, what happens if I don't get that done? And functionally, not that much. Happened. Yeah. You're not, 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 nothing that bad. Yeah. Like I'm not a surgeon. Like lives are not going to be lost if I am late to my first meeting or I'm unprepared. But what would happen if I showed up and wasn't at my best is I think I would start to question this own, like this identity I had made for myself about how I was a high performer and I was a leader and I was always on top of things. And that would start to fall apart. Now, as I would go throughout the day, I hope I was not trending into toxic positivity in the way that it would show up. But as anxious feelings would come up and I would start to feel these fears about like, oh no, what would happen if you miss this? Or, oh no, these new stresses are coming. How are you going to do this? There was this voice of, this is what we've always done. We can do this. Keep going. And it wasn't a voice of care. It was a voice of fortitude and grit. Was it the same voice that tells you you're lazy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the voice with its hand on the steering wheel. Yeah. And then when I would say get home and I'd be supposed to be playing with my daughter, I'll tell a story. I I haven't told this story elsewhere, honestly, because I'm I'm just ashamed of it. Mm. But I had just done a really long day at work and I was in the kitchen, I think preparing dinner. And it was, it was so noisy. And by noisy, I mean in the following way. I was very busy physically, like trying to prepare dinner. Mm -hmm. My entire day and all my responsibilities were just playing on loop in a cloud in my brain. So internally, my brain was so noisy. Mm -hmm. My daughter had her favorite music playing and blaring on the Google Home. Mm -hmm. And then she herself, like she, she was just being a kid. She was just being joyful and laughing and screaming and running and playing. She's a two-year-old, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. I, I think she was three at the time. Okay. Yeah. And, and just asking me nonstop questions. And then at some point, two things happened. Physically, it felt like this splitting headache. And then emotionally, like it felt like this full on panic attack happened. Yeah. And all I could do suddenly was close my eyes and cover my ears. And I just started saying, over and over and over. Can you please be quiet? Can you please be quiet? Can you please be quiet? Mm. 
And then eventually I heard my daughter's voice trail off and she was quiet. And I opened my eyes and I, I looked at her and I could only see in her face. I could see like just this deep confusion, but also this deep fear because it wasn't like the same fear of, you know, if I had raised my voice, it was this fear of, I don't know what's wrong, but something's really wrong right now. Hmm. And I wanted so much to be able to comfort her there, but I myself was like in such a bad mental state that all I could do is walk away. Mm-hmm. And so that might be what an evening looked like after I got home from work. And then by the time I was getting in bed, I you know might be dosing myself with melatonin. I would be doing breathing exercises just to quiet the mental chatter. Mm-hmm. And then if things got really bad, I would put in my earbuds and I would listen to guided meditation on Headspace because I knew I could fall asleep to that. Yeah. Well, those are actually pretty adaptive. My my response would be to take an Ativan and probably have a glass of <laughs> vodka. So you're way ahead of me. I Well, I I, uh, I haven't mentioned the, the alcohol. The alcohol comes and goes. Um but it the the powerlifting helps keep the alcohol at bay. Why were you ashamed to tell that story? I think because my daughter deserves so much better. Mm. And when I say it out loud, I I remember that time and there's there's part of me that wants to say we're all doing the best with what we have at any given moment, so give yourself some grace. There's another part of me that says, no, she deserves better, and you're you're not good enough. Wow. When you were on leave, did you find that your anxiety shifted? Was it better? Was it worse? Was the status quo? It It took a while. I was warned that it would take three to four weeks just for my brain to settle down. Wow. And I didn't believe that. So I came out week one with the, my full Newton Chang custom self-healing plan. <laughs> and, and I thought, okay, we will reflect, we'll hike, we'll journal, we will meditate. I, I just have to tell you that the way you're talking, I feel like there's like a very busy Newton Chang team inside your head. Like they're all like, they're very busy, like one's in charge of nutrition and one's in charge of breath work and the schedule. And they're like, it's like team Newton Chang, except they can also be really mean. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they get a lot done. It's, I think it might be a toxic workplace in there, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're doing a lot of work to clean that up. So a another story I haven't told, but maybe I'm a little less ashamed because I think it's funny. By week one, the where I realized like, okay, the Newton Chang self-healing plan is not going to work. <laughs> I went to watch the movie Encanto. There's a character named Louisa, and she has the superpower of she is super strong. Like she's basically like the Hulk, you know, except she's very kind and, you know, loving and takes care of everyone. And so because she's so strong, they're always asking her to do things. And in the movie, she goes into this musical number about how she's cracking under the pressure. Mm-hmm. And so we're sitting there in the movie theater. I have my bucket of popcorn, my daughter sitting next to me. 
And then she sings the lyric in her song, I question what my worth is if I can't be of service. Yep. And I started to cry <laughs> in Kanto <laughs> when I heard that. And so I'm like hiding my face behind my bucket of popcorn so my daughter can't see that I'm crying <laughs> because like this musical number, it has like donkeys doing a hip hop dance yep. routine. And I'm like, this is just going to mess her up if she sees this. And I don't want to have to explain to her what's going on. So just bury your face in the popcorn, get it together. <laughs> and then let's never speak of this again. Except now I'm telling uh, you and your podcast audience. Hey, listen, that is a, well, first of all, I, I love Encanto because the whole movie is about mental illness, it, it seems to me. Yes. And and Louisa is a very empathetic character because she she keeps the village running. She is always of service and she's so strong, but then her powers literally start to fade. She physically, yes. right? She loses her power to lift and be strong. And she's like, who am I? I have no role in the world anymore. It's like a true existential crisis for her. Yes. And I, I think that's now as I went into my leave, that's the thing I had to start questioning was, okay, I'm away from work. I don't have infinite strength like Louisa. Mm -hmm. And so after that first week, then I started to give myself just space during my days, stop planning it out, just give yourself space and see what happens. By week four, my brain did start to quiet down. By week five, I decided to reconnect with some friends who I knew from high school in my 20s. And they knew who I was before, you know, all these powerlifting accomplishments, before I had developed this, this layer of leadership polish. And just being with them was this really useful reminder of who I was at one time. And that person is still in there and what that person cared about. And that person carried so few of the anxieties that were driving me today, or at least the responsibilities about which I was anxious. And so it was kind of this aha. I like, I, I like the quote from a, an author named Madeline Langle. I am every age I've ever been. <laughs> and so just being with them, it was like a time travel back to, oh yeah, who was I? And who did I want to be? And what did I care about? And it became clear I had built up this kind of system of both achievement and then anxiety to keep me achieving that I had been running since high school or since my 20s. And that it wasn't serving me anymore because now my highest purpose was how I was showing up as a husband and father. And that's where I was failing. Hmm. Even calling it failing feels intense to me, though. It feels, it feels judgmental to say that you are failing. Not that I, I don't know you very well, but that's a strong word. You're very right. <laughs> it, it's interesting. I've been committing to myself. My, one of my 2023 commitments is to show myself the love and support that I would give to a friend yeah. in the same situation. I think I just violated that right there. So good catch. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we make mistakes and then uh, we'll, we'll uh, turn it around. You know, one of the things that I, I love to follow your content online for is, is that you're very, you're precise about language and you sort of call corporate America out on its use of certain language. And I love that. 
you wrote on a on a recent LinkedIn post that you were on a call with 50 other Google executives and you said something made you uncomfortable and sad, which is that so many people at work and I guess around have been referring to your mental health leave as a sabbatical. Yes. Why does that make you sad? And 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 what are you doing about that now? On the one hand, I appreciate what I believe is their intent, which is to respect my boundaries mm-hmm. and to not put something on blast that maybe they're they're not sure if I want to go there in front of whoever the audience might be at that time. So I think they're framing it as something innocuous, like a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. For me, I always try to frame it back to like, no, that was a mental health leave. Mm. The reason I do that, it's twofold. So if I look at the data from, say, the surveys that Microsoft has been doing in 2021, they estimate that over 50% of workers globally are burned out at work. So that's just looking at the numbers. Now, if I look around at the workplace, that would imply that one out of two of us are struggling with burnout, but you would never see it because everyone's hiding it due to stigma. Mm. And so at that level of suffering, my thought is I'm doing no good by hiding that I went on a mental health leave because so many are suffering right now and so many need help. So the best thing I can do is call it what it is so they might consider whether they need to do something for themselves. I want to push a little further on the word of burnout. I sometimes feel that burnout is a euphemism we use instead of saying depression or anxiety. It's a more comfortable work word that feels more comfortable to have. I agree. One of my goals is to humanize this conversation much more. So I I think we could go through layers of this. You could say burnout. Now, what my therapist put on the paperwork, because burnout is not actually a clinical term, is depression, anxiety, and I believe it was called overwork syndrome. Wow. Now, I push beyond that because there's part of me that would, you know, if I didn't have my family responsibilities, would probably work more because I really do actually love my work that much. I don't know if that would be good for me, but part of me would want to do that. Why I went on leave was because I was ashamed of how I was showing up as a husband and father. Mm-hmm. And so like, yes, I was experiencing depression, anxiety. Part of that for me was that I was out of integrity with my values for so long. And I felt trapped in a system of my own making. Hmm. Do you feel less trapped now? I feel hope because I can name it out in the open in places like this and in the workplace. And not only are people giving me space to do that, they're supporting me and they're encouraging me to do it more. Mm-hmm. And when I ask them why, they're saying, because other leaders aren't doing this and we need this right now. And so ideally, what I really want is not just more people to hear my story. I want more people to tell their stories so that we can actually understand how each of us is doing how people can better understand how they are doing, and then we can do something about it so we can take better care of ourselves and each other. And I see this as not necessarily at odds with businesses being successful. 
if 50% of the, the workforce is struggling with burnout, that becomes a workforce planning problem too. Yeah. Yeah. So there's very human reasons to do this. There's also very good business reasons to address these problems. Like what? Well, just mathematically, if 50% of your workforce is experiencing burnout, then at a minimum, that means 50% of them are probably less productive than they could be. Now, if you map this out over time, some percentage of them will go out on mental health leave. Some of them will stay. Some of them may create toxic work environments because they're in a bad place and they might end up making the place worse for others. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's ripple effects in many directions. And I understand the need for businesses to keep being successful in the short term. But at some point, something needs to change because I don't see anything that is necessarily turning this trend of burnout around. No. I think also, I mean, one of the things that you said that, you know, as you learned more and and got language around your anxiety and your depression, that there was a piece of you that had felt this way and and had been operating on this OS, if you will, Mm -hmm. for a long time. And, you know, I think a lot of us fellow travelers, we find situations that we think need us, right? We, We find jobs that demand a lot of us. And that makes us feel good because we can plug right in and then the system keeps going. It's really hard because the systems need to change, but we also need to learn how to do what you did a month into your sabbatical or six weeks, which is to sort of turn off that inside team, which pushes us. You know, I mean, one of the things that I've been challenging myself to do in 2023 of, you know, it's very new is to just have a day that's just a day. Mm. For so long, I felt that I had to have a day that moved the ball forward which actually left me dependent on emails a lot, like waiting for Mm. emails to happen. But also like, who cares? Some days are just days. (laughs) I feel like you should put that on a t-shirt. Some days are just days. (laughs) I need to hear that more often. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the systems, they do need to change. And I'm, I'm wary of anyone who comes with a solution for that, that looks like we blow up the system and then rebuild it. It's just not practical. Therefore, you'd have to ask, where does change happen? And you could get really academic about it and start to look throughout the complex system and figure out where are the leverage points. And and I love that discussion. And part of my job is to have that discussion. I think the transformation, it starts with individuals. It starts with people deciding, I am going to step up as a leader. So the thing I've been trying to say is, Transformation, it requires true leadership. And true leadership requires taking risks, maybe even at your own expense. And so I I really like the saying, a society grows great when old men, and more correctly, people, plant trees in whose shade they shall never sit. Part of the reason why I'm speaking out is, I don't know if this will be good for my career. I do think it will be good for my mental health. But If I look forward to the next generation, they're already talking about mental health. They're expecting us to show up differently in the workplace as leaders, and they're expecting a different workplace culture. So I'm going to speak up, and I'm going to plant trees, and I may never sit in their shade, but 
if I can believe that they might provide shade to the next generation and my daughter's generation and the one after that, that seems like a life well lived. That's it for today. Our show is produced and edited by Mary Dew. Our assistant producer and sound engineer is Nick Krinko. Many thanks to the LinkedIn Presents family and to all our guests for sharing their stories. If you love the show, tell your friends. I would love you to leave a review because they really matter in helping the show get found. You could also follow us or subscribe. If you have a question for me or you want to submit an idea for the show, find me on LinkedIn where you can follow me, message me, I promise I'll write back, or subscribe to my newsletter for more from the Anxious Achiever world. Thanks for listening.